Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Sponsored in part by St. Louis Public Library. Featuring the birds and bees at Central Library. Now, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, welcome and whoa! Our windows look straight out at the Soldiers Memorial, and I mean the downpour is downpouring. Plants are going to love it because everything was a little bit dry, even though all the rain we've been having it was getting dry. Um, but, uh, boy, the people and uh, going to the parade, being in the parade and everything else. Ooh. Anyway, we'll be taking the Good Gardening Stroll shortly. If you have questions, concerns, or comments about your plants, your whatevers, uh, 314 314- 436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. On Saturday mornings, we get together and we have a roundtable discussion about what's impacting your backyard. What's going on in your front yard? Why can't I get any grass to grow here? Oh, it's that big oak tree? Oh, it's not just the shade because the sun hits the ground. It's the tree roots. And specialty garden space, how about the taste of the tropics, meaning your houseplants? How about a potting mix versus a potting soil? How about a potting soil for cactus, for really well-drained, needing plant material like herbs? Why not? Shearing, pruning, bugs, diseases, and information? Well, my thoughts or orchestrations hopefully will help you solidify your options with a final judgment going to be on your shoulders. This is your show, by the way, and I appreciate you inviting me into your home, your car, or wherever you happen to be listening. Another important player, Greg Harvey, he's here producing again today. And uh, he always, when you call, he'll ask you your name and where you're calling from, and then he'll get you online or in line or whatever it happens to be. I'm Mike Miller. I've been hosting the Garden Hotline since 1994, written five gardening books. Two are currently available at various locations and on the Internet. I write articles also for the Missouri Gardener magazine, which is a magazine that comes out every two months. And during the weekend, weekends, I do landscape consulting, which I call a walk and talk. If you're interested, you can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com. The homepage will have my email and my phone number where I can be reached. And today's Good Gardening Stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting. The blues beat goes on, hitting those high and low notes. It's 6.15, and people are already out there with chairs lining Market Street. Constant flow of people headed towards Market. Banners on the light post say, playoffs, let's make history. And the team with the team picture and uh, uh, the Stanley Cup picture as well. Temporary railings outside the Enterprise Center. And all the banners on Enterprise Center say, bleed blue. 2019 Stanley Cup playoffs, Stanley Cup champions, 2019 banner inside the team store. Mannequins are all wearing all full regalia. So I guess probably the team store is going to be open today. So if you're interested in getting something, that works out as well. Also, the three statues in front of the Enterprise Center, Al McGinnis. The plaque says he had a 23-year career. 
And uh, actually, there's plantings on each side of these. I don't remember those, but maybe it's because I haven't paid that much attention recently. But the planting space on each side of all three statues all have cannas and yellow cannas. Actually, I, I guess there isn't a blue canna, so there couldn't be anything related to that. But there is some blue annuals as well. There's Bernie Fredoco Bernie and Brett Hall also. And uh, each are wrapped in a railing to keep people from climbing up on them, probably to take a selfie or something along that line. There's a two- to three-story high banner on the east side of the Enterprise Center, and it says it declares shot on an iPhone. There's rentable scooters, and they're going all over the place, up and down and all around. Now, this is all before this rain actually started. So I don't know, <laughs> riding a scooter in the, the rain hmm, could be kind of dangerous because it's slippery. And um, in front of the Soldiers Memorial, the plantings are fantastic. They've never really looked better, so they're ready for the parade as well. Flags are whipping in the breeze. Tents and awnings for radio stations. Radio.com. I saw the uh, folks from here setting up everything. They get to set, you know, set up on the inside of the railings, actually on Market Street. So, and if you have a special badge, which I looked at, I didn't have a badge, so I couldn't go on the inside. No, who cares? Anyway, so all kinds of stuff being dropped off from the trailers, all the railings were being dropped off and then linked together to keep people behind the railings. Uh, the skies are gray. The clouds are moving southwest to northeast. Uh, vendors were selling pennants, and the gentleman was saying, these pennants are waterproof. So that was pretty smart. I don't know if they're truly waterproof, but that was smart of him to say anyway. People are selling some T-shirts. Then there's banners along Market Street declare history was made with a picture of number 90 of the Blues holding the Stanley Cup. So that's the good gardening stroll for today. And wow, I hope the rain kind of backs off a little bit for everybody. I'm wearing a T-shirt, Blues T-shirt, and it's actually Tracy's. She said I should wear it and uh, because this is KM Wax and this is where the blues were you know, and have been for quite a while. So anyway, back after these messages. Someday there will be a Stanley Cup victory parade in St. Louis. Here's an idea. How about one today? Join King of Wax for the Blue Stanley Cup Parade. Coverage starts at 11, parade at noon, and we'll be under the arch for the rally, too. The Blue Stanley Cup Parade. We've got it covered. Sponsored by McBride Holmes on America's Sports Voice, KMOX. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Sponsored in part by St. Louis Public Library. Featuring the birds and bees at Central Library. Now, once again, it's Mike Miller on KMOX. Since it's pouring rain, I think it's still pouring. Yes, it is. Not quite as hard as it was, but still a lot coming down. Here's um, uh, information which I sort of shared last weekend, last Saturday, but I want to do it again because of the rain actually happening. It's from the University of Missouri, and it's a University Environment and Garden Newsletter. And what this is saying is after flooding or overwatering, the gas exchange between the soil and air is greatly reduced. The microorganisms consume much of the oxygen in the water and soil. The lack of soil oxygen induces several changes in plants and soil that adversely affect vegetation and fruit growth both. 
So plants respond by reducing water absorption and closing their stomata. That's their sort of breathing apparatus. And that results in a lower rate of photosynthesis. After that, roots uh, permeability and mineral uptake is reduced also. So it shows you what an impact that actually water can and does do. Phytotoxic byproducts of the microbes can accumulate and restrict the roots. I mean, and leaching and all other things may occur as well. So the first symptoms usually observed after a short period of flooding is wilted leaves and an unpleasant odor potentially can be coming from, let's say, injured or dead root systems. So in other words, you go out and you go, hmm, what does that smell? And things can appear brown too. Other plant symptoms, waterlogging, uh, all kinds of other things going on, and uh, it is just... You know, I mean, this has been like the year of years, even if this isn't the greatest flooding or wet season we've had compared to 93, it has still been totally wild and crazy. So, again, summer floods can cause greater root damage than those in the spring because of the higher soil temperatures. So all kinds of impacts on our poor plant material due to the weather. Let's go to we have Ed in Chesterfield. Oh, hi, Ed. How are you? I'm good. How about you? Very good. Bet my son just bought a home in South St. Louis, and the front yard is complete ivy. So we would like to take that ivy out and have grass there. And just want to know what the steps are. I know ivy's heard, I've heard ivy's pretty hard to get rid of. Yeah, it's going to, you know, best thing to do is be patient because you want to get rid of it entirely. So I would say... Uh, is he opposed to using her, you know herbicides or anything like that? Well, we've already mowed it and pulled out as much as we can with the roots. Okay. The roots. I guess the next step, I know the ground is not ready for grass, but it's pretty, pretty loose. Right. So what you should do is go ahead and apply an herbicide to any kind of sprigs. And I would say if he's going to put sod down, he could do that in the summertime. But realize that if he's putting like a bluegrass or a fescue, that's a cool season type lawn. And putting it down in the summertime is not the most ideal thing. If he wants to put a zoysia down, that's a little bit different. But I would say just be patient. Go out there and apply an herbicide on any kind of sprig that comes up, you know, that shows any kind of growth other than basically anything because you don't want anything there. And then plan if he's going to do seed, then I would not do any kind of seed, you know, at all during the summertime because of our crazy weather. But uh, so get rid of the ivy entirely. You're not going to get rid of it all, but at least 99, you know, or 95 percent or whatever. And then get everything ready as far as probably putting a couple inches of compost on the ground, working that into the soil and then plan on putting sod or seed down later on in uh, mid to late August or early September. Okay, very good. All right, thank you very much. Yep, good luck with that. Yeah, and it's a, I mean, it's gonna, it's a brutal time of year to put, like I said, any kind of cool season sod down and seed. Even if the seed came up and germinated and everything else, we don't know what in the world this, you know, the temperatures are going to be and. Those, t- those two types of lawns just can't handle the heat of the summertime. They're cool season lawns versus a warm season lawn like Zoiza. All right. Now we're going to head to Eureka and talk to Sue. Hi, Sue. Hi. I'll take Ed's ivy. The, uh, the uh, deer have eaten my euonymus uh, down to just stems. But my question is... Um, 
Grapes can definitely hurt trees. Wild grapes don't adhere to the trunks like the euonymus does. Wild grapes will twine among themselves, grab a hold of branches, and what it does is it can actually grow out over the canopy of trees. And what it does is you know, start reducing the amount of photosynthesis that trees can actually produce because they're in shade, you know, which normally the leaves at the top of the tree are fully exposed to the sun. So that the wild grapes is definitely problematic for any kind of trees, shrubs, or anything that's growing on top of. Now, euonymus generally clings to the trunk. So for the most part, it doesn't really do all that much damage. I'm not saying if it goes up and starts growing out over the branches and then covering the leaves of those branches, then that could be trouble. But that rarely happens. And you can go to Europe and you can see ivies or euonymuses or things like that that cling to trunks, and these trees are quite old, and they're still very, very healthy. And the same thing can happen here as well. So wild grapes, definitely problematic. The euonymus climbing up the trunk is not problematic. Okay, what about Virginia creeper? Uh, Virginia creeper is pretty much... Uh, you know, it clings, so it doesn't really wind and twine like the wild grapes does. So it's, you know, and poison ivy, the same thing. So it's mm. only, you know, problematic from the standpoint poison ivy if you're allergic to it. And the Virginia mm. creeper right. is just, again, an aesthetic thing more so than anything else. Okay. Okay. Thank you, Mark. Have Certainly. a good day. Yep. Bye. See ya, and uh, looks like the rain has slowed down a little bit, so hopefully this will be the big gush, and then everything will clear up and we'll have a great parade. So, Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. The road was long and the journey hard, but the St. Louis Blues never gave up. Congratulations on bringing home the Stanley Cup from KMOX. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline, sponsored in part by St. Louis Public Library, featuring the birds and bees at Central Library. Now, once again, it's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. I can't really tell, but it kind of looks like the rain has stopped. It is, wow. I mean, the lightning and everything else, it was kind of getting scary, and how much rain was coming down, but hopefully it has stopped and we're going to be able to have no rain on our parade, our St. Louis Blues Parade. So if you have questions or concerns, again, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. I'll tell you, I still have pansies that look great. Now, the flowers are getting smaller. I won't fool you, but I have regularly fertilized them every couple weeks and I've I'm just, I keep waiting to just get rid of them and yank them out so I can put some other stuff in those particular pots. But the things in my pots are really starting to explode, so I've been real lucky with uh, how things have worked so far. So the rain in containers, as long as you have potting mix and not potting soil, you should have great luck with them. And then also I always have a couple pots that have herbs in them. So very well-drained potting mix. Actually, I use the cactus mix. No fertilizer on your herbs because what that does is kind of screw up with the let's say the flavor or the scent of the herbs so if you want a really low care plant and you have a sunny location you can't beat any of the herbs 
All right, let's go out to Chesterfield and talk to John. Hi, John. Good morning. Hey, do you think it's going to rain, maybe? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Is it raining out there? Well, it just got done pouring. Oh, great. So... <laughs> I got questions about annuals and then some pests in the yard. Okay. Okay. I was going to do some flocks this spring. I bought the roots. None of them came up. So I put out some annuals, uh, just sprinkled some seed, and they're coming up. Mm-hmm. My favorite big box store has uh, flocks in one-gallon plastic pots. So I don't want to plant them because that's going to mess up the annuals. But if I leave them in those pots and just sort of to put holes in the bottom and keep them in the same area. I think they'll last till the fall. They should. Now, are this a, are these the tall flocks? Or are you talking about the creeping flocks, the stuff that grows tall. close to the ground? The vertical ones. So the tall ones? Uh, yeah. They should be okay. They, I mean, I'm, I would think that the pots that they're growing in right now have to have drainage holes in them. But if okay. you're a little bit concerned with it, what I would do is just, uh, you know, cut the entire bottom off. And that okay. way you should be okay. Now, phlox, I will tell you, is very prone to, let's say, foliar fungus problems, be it powdery mildew or a few other things. And so just realize that you could start seeing some of the leaves not looking so good, but it doesn't really impact the flowering. Oh, oh since you mentioned fungus, reminded me of something you said a couple of weeks ago about every year or two changing the sprays that you use to control insects and diseases. That's what I do, yes. Yes. And it just turns out that this year when I went to buy the spray for my roses, they didn't have the brand that I had been using. Mm-hmm. It was working, but I got a different brand. The old, the old brand was working, but not that well. I got a different brand, and there's not a spot on my rose bushes. Wow. It is just, it made, <laughs> it's like totally different. <laughs> well, that's great. I'm glad to hear that. Because sometimes, okay. I mean... You know, the modification of the chemicals are not going to be exactly the same. So, so things that can be problematic for, an other, you know, let's say a spray you've been using won't be problematic for the newer one. Yeah. Um, iris. When do I plant iris? Uh, basically, that you can do it in. Now, do you have existing iris or do you want to just get new iris? Brand new ones. Because okay. the ones I, I, I had a really nice iris bed for years, but they just stopped blooming. So. Right. That was age. Yeah, uh, I would so, say anytime the garden centers have the tubers, you can put them in. So okay. usually it's going to be in, in the earlier spring, but uh, so generally they don't have them in the fall. That doesn't say that you can't plant them in the fall, but just the availability is going to be somewhat limited. I saw something online about um, planting at, at, like a month after they bloom, are done blooming, dig them up, separate them. And then plant those, plant them, you know, while they've still got the foliage on. Does that make any sense? Well, it does, but uh, it seems like, you know, what happens is after they finish flowering, personally, I like to leave the foliage as long as I can to build up the tuber of the iris. So I'm not going to do it that way. I'm going to wait until the foliage starts turning brown, then cut the foliage off, and then, you know, that would be the time when I would just, you know, pull them up, divide them, and relocate them if I wanted to. Okay. Best. Have you ever heard of squirrels eating flower flower buds? The only reason they'd eat flower buds that I can think of is for the moisture content the flower bud would have. But generally, they don't seem to do that all that much. 
but that's not to say they won't. All of a sudden this year, I got this great big, beautiful magnolia, evergreen ale, uh, magnolia tree. And uh-huh. When they it, when when the they're all blooming and it looks almost looks like it's, it's snowed on it. This year they're just here and there. I finally figured out why the idiot squirrels are eating blue. <laughs> so the, I'm sure the petals have quite a bit of moisture in them, and even though there's been a lot of rain, they're you know s- squirrels are not really let's say the most intelligent animal out there. So uh, <laughs> I, yes, yesterday afternoon I was looking out my uh, kitchen window. And a squirrel came up on top of the picket fence and just one great big chunk up. They ate a rosebud. <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe they're smarter than I think, and they're saying, "Well, like, I need some rose, like you, you know, and for the nutrients." <laughs> oh, hey, I tried this your bonide mold stuff this year. Mm-hmm. It seems to be working. You got to follow the instructions, but it's not as much fun as a shovel, lawn chair, and six pack. That, that is very true. Nothing's more exciting than that. all right well thank you yeah my pleasure thanks for calling and having me on your show all right let's head out to murfreesboro illinois we're talking to gene hi gene good morning mike and it's not it's not my show it's your show you're the star (laughs) no you are no that's just the way it is you gotta face facts how about a question before you ask a question is it raining (laughs) out there yet no no rain in the murfreesboro okay just curious. I can I can do yard work and garden work this morning. Sounds perfect. Uh, quick question: Nut sedge, carex, driving me crazy. What can I do to get rid of little sedges? Yeah, the nut sedge takes a very specific herbicide to kill it. Something like sedge ender. Regular grass killers or things like that has no impact on the nut sedges whatsoever. So you got to get something specifically for killing nut sedge. And it'll save, you know, like I said, the products can be called nut sedge ender or sedge okay. ender or those okay. type things. And uh, most most garden shops will have it? They should, yes. Okay. Okay. And it won't hurt any of the other grasses? No, it does not. You know, Fantastic. And also, I'll tell you, usually the nut sedge is going to be more problematic in areas, slight depressions, where it's more moist. Right, and that's exactly where I'm having trouble with it. Okay, great. Well, good luck on getting rid of it. But don't expect it to go away after just, let's say, even one full year of going, you know, trying to get rid of it. Because it's going to take a couple of years because there are seeds that lay there dormant. And then those seeds, you know, may not start you know, germinating until the following year. Does it have a little tuber? Well, it has little nutlets on the end of actually the uh, roots. So if you pull them up really gently in you know moist soil, you can see the actual seed on the end of the you know the white roots, and then it does produce seed above the ground too. Okay, okay, though. Well, Mike, thank you for your show. Well, thank you for having me on your show. So, <laughs> all right, we'll stay in Illinois and head to Troy. We're going to talk to Roger. Hi, Roger. Hey, how you doing? Uh, my question was is with oak trees. I have uh, beautiful oak trees that for the last several years been losing a lot of limbs. And I notice on the, the limbs there's round balls that completely circle the rim. I don't know if that has anything to do with killing the branches or not. But I was wondering uh, if you could recommend somebody 
in the Illinois area, Troy, Illinois area, that could come inspect my trees. Um, I would just go to your favorite garden center and find out, you know, what tree expert that they would have. Because I can't, you know, you know, think of somebody that you would go specifically to you. But it, your favorite garden center should have a whole list of landscape contractors and arborists that would, you know, be right in your region. Now, those galls don't necessarily make the branch. They'll make twigs fall off, but they won't make major branches fall off unless the galls are so big that they, the weight of them has caused the branch to crack off. So if you're having branches fall and they're mature trees, it might just be just simply a dead wood circumstance where the tree would be losing those and they just happen to have the galls on them. The galls, again, for people that don't realize, basically go after the red oak family as, versus the white oaks. And what it does is a, actually an insect that stings it, lays its eggs and then what that egg, to protect itself, bloats that gall thing, and uh, that's a protective mechanism. And they, stay, they have a tendency to stay around the same trees for generations, generations, and generations, unless they get blown to other oaks that are in close proximity, and then they start doing the same thing if they're in the red, red oak group. Okay, will will it eventually kill the trees? Generally not, unless, like I say, they get so many. I've been in, you know, walked in woods and stuff where some of the galls are almost a size, a little bit bigger than a tennis ball. And you get a bunch of them on one branch, and what that can do is cause a crack in the where the branch is attached to either a larger branch or to the trunk. Then moisture gets in there and causes a heartwood rot. But in and of themselves, the galls do not kill, no. Okay, thank you, sir. Have a good day. Yes, you do the very same thing. Bye-bye. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Get ready for the Cards and Mets tonight. Amron Total Access 515. First pitch 610. Hear it here on your voice of the St. Louis Cardinals. KMOX. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline, sponsored in part by St. Louis Public Library, featuring the birds and bees at Central Library. Now, once again, it's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, if you've been out looking around in your lawn, you you see these clumps in the... They look like grass, but they're producing seeds, you know, seed, I don't want to say pods, but seed stems coming up out of the little grass, and the grass is kind of turning yellowish. What that is, is that's the annual bluegrass, and that's one of those annual cool season weeds, and it's just about at the end of its life. But you can see it's still producing a heck of a lot of seeds, and that's why you need to be conscious of the fact of getting a pre-emergent down mid to late August to get rid of that annual bluegrass. I've got some annual bluegrass in my yard, so it's just like it drives me nuts. I thought I had most of the weeds under control with a pre-emergence, with a post-emergence, and with hand digging, but still you it's it's just an ongoing process. There's never, let's say, an end to it. So let's go. Yep, let's go to Belleville. We're going to talk to Jim. Hi, Jim. Hi, Mike. Hey, a couple real quick questions and a comment. Um, as far as periwinkle goals or vinca, the ground cover, mm-hmm. um, I read where you should fertilize that with like 10, 10, 10, uh, but it didn't say how often. Um, how, how often would you would a person do that? I mean, is it monthly or... Or, or what? Monthly or should be enough, but I would, you know, since it's an evergreen, broadleaf evergreen, I'd make sure that you're getting some sulfur and iron in that fertilizer that you're putting down as well. Okay. 
So just be conscious of that. I think you're okay. going to be, you know, have healthier growth if you get a fertilizer for acid-loving plants versus just a 10-10-10. Okay. Uh, uh, another question real quick and then a comment. Uh, the, as far as nutsedge goes, um, somebody told me that if you – uh, pull that out, it'll actually make two plants come up eventually because of the nut that it leaves. Um, is that true? Or Well, it could be more than two because the roots, usually the nut's edge is going to have any place between three and six roots that goes, you know, white roots that go down. Each one of the tips of those roots could have a seed on it. So you could pull one out and actually release the six seeds. So instead of one, you got six. Okay. Okay, and then my comment is I do all my yard work myself. I cut my own grass. Mm -hmm. I do all the fertilization and everything. And as you probably know, it's a lot of work. Yes. And and it's uh, always, there's always seems to be some problem. If it's not bugs or um, mildew or or whatever. But, you know, the funny thing is then we live in a neighborhood where the streets are concrete and there's some cracks in the concrete. And I look out there. And uh, the the city has come along and and you know put that tar in the con- in the cracks to prevent it from producing more. And yet the grass grows right up through the tor the tar. It's just as green as you can uh, imagine. And you know it, cars drive over it and everything else. It, it's funny how that happens, but it's a real struggle to get my own lawn and, and good dirt to grow. <laughs> well, that just shows you that what you're seeing is not really grass, and it just shows you that weeds are really optimistic, and uh, they generate and they can germinate in all kinds of really horrible places and just keep going and going and going. That's why we hate them, because they're too easy to grow, and uh, that's, I mean, we spend our life getting rid of them. Yeah, too bad they can't somehow combine a, a grass plant and a weed. Yeah. To- Right, that's true. Yeah. yeah. Okay, well, that's all I had. Thank you very much. Certainly, thank you. Uh-huh. Next up, we've got uh, Norman. He is in Herculaneum, Missouri. Hi, Norman. Hi, good morning, Mike. Uh, I had a question. We put all the new side down. It was late last year, I guess probably around November, and it survived very well through the winter. Uh, I called a sod company, and they recommended putting down like a 12-12-12, which I did in, I think it was middle of April, somewhere around there. And with all the rain we're having now, would it hurt to put another application of 12-12 on that or just leave it go for the rest of the summer? Yeah, don't fertilize any kind of cold season lawn during this weather. I mean, you had the okay. you know the opportunity when May was still around to do you know the fertilizing, but I would before I started you know, consistently putting down any type of fertilizer like triple twelve or something, because the last two numbers of phosphorus and potassium stay in the soil for a long time. I'd get a soil test done, so you know that maybe you don't need a twelve twelve twelve. Maybe you need a ten five five or a ten zero five or something like that as opposed to just okay. routinely putting the same fertilizer down. All right. Yeah, it seems like it's doing very well, but I'm just concerned with all the rain we've been having. Right. I completely all understand, right. but just you know, watch out before you, st- you consistently put uh, the same fertilizer down. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Certainly. All right. And our last call this hour, we're headed to Dix, Illinois, and into Robert's yard. Hi, Robert. Oh, I got a question. I got I got about six apple trees, and uh, they keep getting what I call rust on the leaves. And I don't know if there's any way to 
prevent that or what causes that to Leaves just get little brown, rusty spots all over them. Right. It could, it's something probably called cedar apple rust. And what you need to do is make a first application of fungicide. Go to your favorite garden center and tell them you've got cedar apple rust. And what they'll do is recommend a fungicide. But you start spraying the fungicide before you start seeing any kind of spots on the leaves. So just okay. probably as the leaves are maybe three-quarters of the way out, make your first application, then make another application according to what the label is. Usually it's about two to three weeks later, and then another one two to three weeks later. And then you should be past the time when the cedars are going to be sending, the, let's say, the rust that's going to land on your hawthorns, your apple trees, your crab apples, and all that other stuff. Okay, thanks a lot. Yep. Bye-bye. Yeah, it's a, you know, it's a, with all the fungus... Whether it's on, you know, let's say powdery mildew on flocks, whether it's on your roses, whether it's on your, let's say, doesn't matter. Applications of fungicides before you visually see the problem is the best way to basically eradicate that problem, but only for that year. So just always do it. If you do it after you notice it, what it does is it keeps it from, let's say, spreading or getting all that much worse but it doesn't eradicate it. So you're still, through the entire growing season, going to have this particular problem. Also, if you have historically a particular plant that has problems with fungus or diseases or bacteria, make sure you clean up all the debris in the fall, whether it's raking leaves, whether it's cutting off stems of things, of plant materials, or anything along that line, whether, again, it's peonies. I mean, that's a great, great example. They have so many foliar problems. And we grow them because we love them, or historically they've been in the family for a long time. And the flowers are fantastic, but that flower really only lasts 7 to 10 days. And I'm not, let's say, saying the peonies are bad news, but we have to really be careful to have you know the leaves looking really good because we get the leaves for months and the flowers for only a relatively short period of time. So if anybody has any questions, concerns, or comments, 314 314- Four three six seven nine hundred or one eight hundred nine two five eleven twenty. Rain, rain, go away. Let us have our prey today. KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Sponsored in part by St. Louis Public Library. Featuring the birds and bees at Central Library. Now, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, welcome to the Garden Hotline tip of the trial hour, and I'll be giving the tip of the trial shortly. But right now, you can call 314 436 7900 or 1 800 925 1120 with your ideas, questions, comments, or concerns. And by the way, thanks for having me on your show. We're here to discuss plant selections, cares, ups and downs, and all arounds of annuals, of bulbs, of edibles, ground covers, house plants, lawns. Perennials, roses, trees, shrubs, vines, and water gardens. I I like sharing my thoughts, but please remember my answers, comments, and opinions is not the only garden path to take, but strictly offered to you to maybe consider and uh, sort of formulate it for your individual circumstance or your landscape's individual circumstance. Across the big boards, Greg Harvey, he's producing today. So when you call, he will ask your name and where you're calling from, and he'll put you on the computer, 
and then we'll get around to your question. During the week, uh, I spend time doing landscape consulting and on the weekends, too. Today, I'm headed south towards Fenton and then north to Bridgeton. So I'm going to be across the metro area and um, should be fun. I love visiting people's yards. Here's a, a quick story. Crystal City, this past Wednesday, I was in a, at a home on Briarwood Lane or Drive. They're right there together, like totally crazy. But a very, very impressive landscape this lady has been working on for quite a while. But, I mean, it was she did a great job. So that's, you know, that's some of the great things I get to do. I get to go help people, yes, but also I get to see some things. Some people have been so successful with their landscapes, and they just have, you know, some concerns or questions or whatever it happens to be. So that's what the walk and talk is all about. You can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com, the homepage. That's my email address and phone number, and we can schedule some time together. And uh, the tip of the trial is a special recognition for an individual group or a situation that's made an impression on me and is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. First tip of the trial goes out to all the fathers. Father's Day tomorrow, so what could be more fantastic than that? And uh, yeah, some of these commercials that say, or things you see on the Internet, buy your father this, buy your father that. I thought, what? Are you kidding me? I can't, you know, my parents have been passed away for quite a while, but you know, I, we were a little bit more basic than some of the things like buy your father a pair of shoes. Huh? No, I'm not going to do that. But anyway, enough of that stuff. Another tip of the trial goes out to the Metropolitan St. Louis African Violet Council. They're having their 64th annual African Violet show and sale. It's called Violets on Wall Street at the Missouri Botanical Garden. And it's going to be next Saturday and Sunday, June 22nd and 23rd from 9 to 5. There's all kinds of exhibits. There's all kinds of African violets and stuff. And you go, well, that's kind of boring stuff. That's what. No, they're really kind of exciting color-wise. If you want some color in your house all year long, the African violet in the groups, all the other jazz and everything else, that's um, how to go about doing it. I mean, they talk about low care. Best thing you can do is give them less care than more care because a lot of times people overwater them and cause them problems. But anyway... The African Violet Show, 64th, is uh, free with garden admission, so that works out well. And another tip of the trial goes out to a new paper exhibit, which opens at the Missouri Botanical Gardens Sachs Museum. And it celebrates the museum's paper anniversary. Learn about plants used to make paper from around the world. That's going to be from this weekend, the 14th all the way through October 27th. So three different things, your father, the African violets, and a paper history of paper around the world at the Botanical Garden. So those are the three tip of the trials for today. Mike Miller, KM West Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Someday there will be a Stanley Cup victory parade in St. Louis. Here's an idea. How about one today? Join King OX for the Blue Stanley Cup Parade. Coverage starts at 11, parade at noon, and we'll be under the arch for the rally, too. The Blue Stanley Cup Parade. We've got it covered. Sponsored by McBride Holmes on America's Sports Voice, KMOX. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Sponsored in part by St. Louis Public Library. Featuring the birds and bees at Central Library. Now, once again, it's Mike Miller on KMOX. 
Let's jump the river and head into Godfrey. And Andrew, how are you today? I'm good. Thank you for taking my call, Mike. Sure. Um, my question today is, is I'm looking for a hardy flowering tree uh, native to the area. And a few weeks back, I had heard uh, you talk about a tree that fit that description. And I can't, we couldn't remember what it was. And I was wondering what, what you would recommend. Probably uh, if you're looking for a tree that has great fall color, nice fruits, spring flowering before the dogwoods flower, I'd probably look at the service berry. All righty, thank you. And the botanical name is Amelanchier, A-M-E-L-A-N-C-H-I-E-R. All righty, thank you. Yep. Yeah, they're native, and, uh, I mean, they're really kind of striking. I don't know why they're not, you know, dogwoods have gotten so, I mean, they're so popular. But uh, this one's native. There's really very few hybrids of it, but, uh, I mean, the fall color, you're going to be amazed by it. And the fruits are fantastic, so. Where are we well, headed Great, thanks. Thank you, I appreciate it. Yep. All right. Well, thanks, Andrew. Let's head out to Creevecore now. We'll talk to Paula. Hi, Paula. Hi. Yes, go ahead. So with all this rain, my boxwoods are just really drooping, and they'll start to dry out, but then they droop again. Is it too late in the season to trim them, or what do I need to do? Uh, just leave them alone. If you prune this time of year, what happens is you're cutting off the tips that have been exposed to some of the intense sun and everything else. Then those have been removed, and now you're exposing leaves that at one time were at the tips, but now have been shaded by, the, you know, let's say, the, the amount of branches or how much you, let's say, have cut off. And then you're going to end up sunburning the leaves, and it's going to really look horrible. So I would say just let them sag down when the rains come, and they'll pull themselves back up when the rains have stopped. And then uh, just kind of wait until, the, let's say, the intensity of the summer goes and the intensity of the sun goes. And then you could do them prune, it, but do it very early in September or wait until next year to do the pruning. Okay. Perfect. Thank you. Yep. And as far as next year's pruning, you'd want to wait until sometime between, uh, let's say, around the Ides of March and prune it right before the new growth begins. Okay. Perfect. Thanks so much. Certainly. Break time. We'll be back after these messages. 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline, sponsored in part by St. Louis Public Library, featuring the birds and bees at Central Library. Now, once again, it's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, if you have questions, concerns, or comments, we still got a little over a half hour, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Colin is in where? Southern Illinois. Oh, Southern Illinois. Hi, Colin. Hi. Yes, go ahead, please. Yeah, your caller about the flowering tree kind of spurred my question. I, I wanted, there's a tree that blooms in the spring. We always call them a tulip tree. Um, I've tried to buy something over the years, to, and I, like I bought a tulip magnolia. Right. It turned out to be more of a bush than a tree. Um, what, is, te- what is a technical name for that? It's like a pink and white flowering uh blossom well that's probably a magnolia i would think if if that, that's the color you're talking about the classic let's say tulip tree lariodendron 
that's a becomes a huge massive tree like the size of an oak. So I don't. Th- are right. you talking? Are you talking that's, about that's that? That's what type I'm of- talking about. Yes. Yeah, so Lariodendrone is at is the tulip tree, not a magnolia. Lariodendron. Right. L I R I O D E N D R O N. Okay. I uh I ordered one to plant at our church and they sent us a tulip poplar, which is definitely not what I wanted. <laughs> <laughs> well, that might be it cuz that's, you know, that's a common name, you know, that but could it, be. It. It, the tulip poplar has like a yellow and orange. Well, that's how that you know, that's the color that this, you know, the tree that I just described you is going to have, too. Now, this is a, this is a tree that blooms in the spring, and it's, it's got a it's kind of a pinkish-white flower on it. Uh, I mean, the, it just, they, they just cover the ground with their petals once they drop. Right. I would, uh, I would think you're looking at one of the varieties of magnolia. But it doesn't have a shiny... Uh, a shiny leaf. No, it's not an evergreen magnolia. It's a deciduous type magnolia. Okay. So it could be like uh, magnolia virginiana, something along that line. That would be the, you know one of the species. But uh, that's probably what I would look at. Or a common okay. name would be saucer magnolia rather than tulip magnolia. Okay. All righty. Thank you very much. Yep. Yeah, so the saucer magnolia is probably the one that you're looking at. All right, now we're going to head to Lake St. Louis and talk to Nancy. Hi, Nancy. Hello. Yes, go ahead. Uh, We have two very large river birches in our backyard. And this year, the lower limbs are heavy, heavy, heavy with leaves just drooping down. Uh, But the upper part of the tree, I'd say about, oh, upper half of each tree is tiny, tiny little leaves, and very thin and sparse. Any ideas? Uh, I, I mean, this should have been an ideal season. How old are these trees, first of all? Well, we've been in the house for three years, but I think the trees are probably 15 or so years old. Oh, that's still pretty young, so it's not an age factor whatsoever. I would say it's probably the higher up in the tree, we had a couple really, even though it was a fairly mellow winter time, we had a couple really harsh days, nights of cold weather. And my guess is probably that impacted higher up in the tree because that's going to be more exposed to the cold weather as opposed to the branches that are lower down. So I don't think this is an overall health thing. I don't think it's insects. I don't think it's diseases. I think it's weather related. I see. Okay. Well, thanks. I won't worry about it. Then. Yeah. So then next year, everything, if you know, we have, let's say, quasi-normal, whatever that is, wintertime, then the, you should have leaves throughout the entire tree. Okay. That's great. Well, I hope you're right. Thank you, Mike. <laughs> Certainly. My pleasure. All right. Let's head to Oakville, Missouri, and talk to Chuck. Hi, Chuck. Hi. Good morning, Mike. Uh, I have one question about oaks in Oakville. Uh, in my yard, I have every spring, the oak uh, nut uh, shoots up and we get a little plant growing. Right. Is there any way to get rid of those things? <laughs> get rid of the squirrels. <laughs> <laughs> They're the ones that are doing the planting. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I go out every uh, at the end of every season with a vacuum cleaner and suck up all I can. Right. But, uh... But you're not getting all of them because of squirrels. I got 
you know, I live across the street from a relatively small city park, and I get, you know, I get chestnuts, I get oak trees, and there's squirrels that are planting them. I'll be darn. Okay, well, thank you very much. Certainly. Yeah, so just get rid of the, you know, send the squirrels someplace else. Okay. All right, let's head out to Godfrey, Illinois. We're going to talk to Joe. Hello, Joe. Enjoy your show. Thank you. Two questions on, on tree trimming. I have a beautiful dogwood at the corner of the house, which is getting, you know, needs to be trimmed back. And then I have a um, lilac that's also just blooms beautiful in the spring. Uh, but it's time for it to be trimmed back, and I didn't know when the best time to trim those two trees would be. Basically, you got about six or eight weeks after they finish flowering. That's the ideal time to prune. If you prune past okay. that point, what you could be doing is cutting off potential buds that are being formed that you may not even be conscious of. So you, okay. if that's the ideal thing with anything that springs, that's spring flowering, you want to prune it six or eight weeks after, you know, four to six weeks or whatever after it finishes flowering. So I'm probably late for this year. Yeah, then. you are. Get, you're kind of on the cusp. Yeah. So if yeah. you do enjoy the amount of flowers that they continue to or have produced in the past, I would say don't prune them this year. Just go wait. Let next them be year. as big as they are right now, and then go after them next year. Okay. Is it and, and being aggressive on the uh, dogwood is that hurtful at all? Sometimes it can be. You could cut it back far enough where the let's say the the twigs or branches or whatever that have left, that are left, don't have the capabilities of producing okay. the flower buds. Outstanding. Okay, well, thanks for the M okay. info. Great. Okay, thank you. Yeah, if, if any of the branches that you cut are fairly big, because you can see the dogwood has the flowers at the tips of branches only, so if it's kind of a stub, I don't think you're going to get a flower bud set on a stub. Okay, good. All right, good. Thanks for the help. Sure. All right, let's head to Gillespie, Illinois, and talk to Gene. Hi, Gene. Hi. Uh, I have a vegetable garden with about a 25-foot row of beets, and the leaves are doing great, but my beets aren't very big. Uh, can I put the dirt over the top of them some, and uh, will they grow bigger? No, dirt's not going to help at all. Have you fertilized them? No. Okay, I would probably fertilize them. And probably, you know, you don't necessarily need a fertilizer that has much nitrogen, but because you're trying to, let's say, increase the root growth, which that's what a beet is. So yeah. the last you know, the last two numbers on the fertilizer, so maybe like a 5-10-10 or something along that line. And do a side dressing. So in other words, don't necessarily just pour it around the individual plants. Run it along the, each side, you know, and just kind of sprinkle some of the, let's say, 5-10-10 or whatever you end up choosing or getting along uh, probably like, let's say, three or four inches away from where the stems are coming, leaf stems are coming up out of the ground. All right. So that sounds good. All right. Good luck. Thank you. Yeah, I love beets myself. I do too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We're going to head back into the St. Louis area here. Pasadena Hills is where Kevin's at. Hi, Kevin. Hi. How are you today? Very good. I have a question for you about uh, peach trees. I have uh, developed some yellow brownish spot on the leaves. Would that be like a fungus maybe, or and how should I treat that? Uh, basically, it is a fungus, and there's not really too much you can do this late. 
Just next year, as the foliage is coming out, when it's about half out, start spraying a fungicide. Go to your favorite garden center. Tell them that you have a fungus on the foliage of your peach trees, and they should be able to recommend which fungicide that they have would be the ideal one for you. Okay, and um, I the the one of the trees is already fruited. I've already had peaches from it. Is that, wow. Yeah, I was <laughs> kind of surprised by that. I mean, I know they were ripe. They were edible. Really? Yeah. So I thought that was kind of, that's kind of early, isn't it? It seems a little bit early to me. Now, you know, I don't know how long ago this happened, but uh, usually... It was two weeks ago. Two weeks ago. Hmm, that does seem a little bit early. Because I always think of, you know, peach production just by, you know, whether you grow peaches yourself, but just sort of when they you're in going into a grocery store and they say locally grown peaches, I haven't seen any signs that says that yet in the places yeah. where we go shopping. Yeah, I thought it was a little odd myself. Yeah, but that shows you how weather can really monkey around with lots of different things. It can slow them down. It could speed them up. It could eliminate it and all those kind of different factors. So that, that uh, fungus on those, uh, on those peach trees, that won't, um, that won't kill them this year, will it? No, it won't. What it does is each time you get a spot on a leaf, the leaf is really the factory of the plant. So, in other words, mm-hmm. it takes the nutrients and moisture up from the root system. They end up in the leaf, and then the leaf converts using sunlight into food, chlorophyll. So the more spots on the leaves, the less food it can produce. So then that kind of leads to the overall situation where a tree may not be as healthy as it should be. I see. Okay. Yeah, I was just concerned. I, I don't, didn't want to lose them. So no, you should be would fine. It, would it- would it be okay to spray them, or should I just? It wouldn't do any good, and I'm wasting money. Well, you could spray them. All that does is maybe prevent more of the fungus, let's say, from spotting. So, in other words, you kind of just you stall things where it is. You don't eradicate it or eliminate it. Okay, and and in the orchard, I have some trees that have it, and some don't. So, should I spray them to prevent spreading? Uh, probably wouldn't hurt the ones that don't have it. You know, but okay. just make sure this is for anybody that's spraying anything. Read that label first because it could be you could spray and it could be too warm and you could do more major damage than if you hadn't sprayed at all. So temperature is can be a very restrictive factor as far as application of any kind of spray on any kind of plant. I see. All right. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate your show. I love listening to you. Thanks so much. Well, thanks. Thanks for having me on your show. All right. And let's talk to Kevin in Imperial, Missouri. All right. Hi, Kevin. Hi. Good morning. Yes, go ahead. I have uh, two autumn blaze maple trees about 15 feet tall. I planted them in probably last September. Um, This spring, they both leafed out beautifully. Right. But over over the past couple days... One of them, just one of them, it, it, it thinks it's fall. The leaves are uniformly changing color slowly. And I looked at the leaves closely. I don't see any bugs. I don't see any spots. Do you have any idea what's causing this? Yeah, probably maybe the one that's doing this might be a little bit wet. And so, in other words, the okay. root system is, you know, it's not in good shape. And so, consequently, the tree's kind of desperate, and it's going to dump its leaves because it doesn't have, you know, it's not feeling healthy, let's put it that way. Do I have to be concerned about losing the tree? Yeah, you certainly could, because if if it defoliates this early in the season, then it hasn't had the leaves on long enough, as I was, you know, talking about, uh, 
you know, to a recent you know, caller just a couple minutes ago about the leaves being so important with anything as far as producing food. So if the leaves have fallen off, then you've got all these months where the leaves should be there producing food. Then it shares the food that the leaves make with the root systems, with the trunks, with the branches and everything else. And so that's where the problem, you know, it could just sort of be a downward slide. Okay. And anything I can do, I just got to uh, let it ride and yeah, see what happens. I, yeah, you can't really do anything, you know, anything this time of year. But what you can do is if this tree does die or if maybe it can pull itself, you know, up and, you know, make itself okay as far as next year goes. In the future, make sure that the top 10 or 15 percent of the root ball is higher and above the surrounding ground to ensure that this is not, you know, a moisture-related type thing. Okay. All right. Wonderful. Thank you. All right. Great. Well, thanks. Good luck with that. Thanks. Okay. And let's talk to Sally. She is in Creefcore. Hi, Sally. Hi. How are you? Very good. I have the same problem uh, as your previous caller with my uh, Kusa dogwood. It leafed out. It bloomed. It was beautiful. And then the rains came. And the leaves first started turning a reddish color. And now I'm seeing that they are turning brown. Um, Now, I put this tree in. It's a fairly young tree. I put it in uh, two and a half years ago in the fall. And so now I'm concerned about the health of the tree. Will it survive the, the summer without leaves if it drops these leaves? And should I fertilize it? Definitely don't fertilize. When you're not feeling well, you don't want to eat. And plants don't want to eat when they're not feeling well. And obviously, this Kusa dogwood isn't feeling well. And it goes right. back to the, you know, what I was talking about, this uh, Missouri Environment and Garden newsletter, where this just talking about when the... The flooding or overwatering, it really eliminates a lot of the moisture. No, not moisture. A lot of the air that's in the soil. So, in other words, the, the root system didn't have enough air, and so that's where the problem comes in. Should I should I poke holes in the soil around the tree? No, uh, you could if you want to, but I, that's not going to help all that much. But uh, probably what I, if I was going to do anything at all, I would get an electric drill. Get an earth auger, which is a kind of a drill bit. Go out about uh, halfway from the trunk to the drip line of the tree. So, in other words, the furthest extension of the branches. Drill some holes about four or six inches deep. Backfill those holes with compost, and then that would be all I would do. I see. Okay. Well, that's uh, that's a uh, you know uh, something to do. <laughs> I, I just feel like I. I just feel like I, I need to do something for this tree. Yeah, but definitely uh, don't. I mean, f- compost doesn't feed, but definitely don't put any fertilizer on it on the top of the ground or anything else. All right. Okay. Thanks so much, Mike. Certainly. Mm, bye. Mike Miller, KMR's Garden Hotline, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline, sponsored in part by St. Louis Public Library, featuring the birds and bees at Central Library. Now, once again, it's Mike Miller on KMOX. You've heard my big head ego talking about planting at the right depth. Not too low, not too low. Here's some research by Dr. Gary Watson at the Morton Arboretum, and it shows that Basically, what he's saying is 
Dig the hole wide, but not as deep as the root ball is. So trees planted too low, I mean, what it does is the root system gets suffocated. And that's where the trouble comes. And it actually screws up the development of stem girdling roots. As So it's like you, if you want to really create a problem, plant too low and that'll drown it. And then it also causes stem girdling roots. So that strangles the plant itself. And this, again, is researched by Dr. Gary Watson at the Morton Arboretum. So it's not just Mike Miller saying don't plant a hole or dig the hole three times the diameter of the root ball, but only about 80% as deep. So, again, let's go. Where are we headed? We're heading to St. Charles and talking to Mike. Hi, Mike. How are you? Hey, how are you? Um, Quick question. Uh, Crabgrass. I put down the preventative, I believe, back in March. Is there anything I can put down now that... uh, could possibly uh, diminish the amount of crabgrass. Well, go ahead. basically a pre-emergent is not going to do anything now because probably the majority of the seeds are already germinated. They're going to germinate for this year. So you're not going to get much you know, much out of it. So in, use a grass killer. Then what that's going to do is kill your other grass. But if you got crabgrass growing in, you know, let's say, uh, a broadleaf ground cover or something, you could go after it that way. But for the most part, there's not really too much you can do. Okay, thanks. Secondly, um, malargonite, I've heard a lot about it. Um, I understand it's good for the lawn, and you really can't put too much of it down. It's uh, very friendly to the lawn. Any opinions? Well, it's, uh, I mean, it's a, a product. It's Milwaukee Sewer, but it's been refined and everything else, so it has fairly low analysis as far as the numbers associated with it, and that's why they, you can, you know, you hear you can put down a lot of it, and it won't do damage but with anything, if you do it too much, it could cause, you know, ultimately problems. But to, to me, with anything, the bag rate, the label rate, the bottle rate of anything, whether it's a fertilizer, pesticide, fungicide, or anything else, you got to go stick with what they say and not just sort of like routinely just think, well, I'm going to put more down because I think it's going to be better. Mm-hmm. Okay, thanks so much. Certainly. All right, let's head to South City and talk to Larry. Hello, Larry. Hi, how you doing? Very good. Uh, I've got okay. I've got a magnolia tree in my front yard, and I kind of like to to stop it. Uh, I don't want it to get too big. In other words, uh, my yard, my front yard, where it's sitting is kind of small, and uh, I've got wires over the head. Is Ooh. is there anything I can do to stop to stop its growth? <laughs> well, you can routinely prune it. And do you know what variety of magnolia it is? No, I don't. Yeah, well, that's that's unfortunate. But if well, you would if you would have got a type of magnolia called sweet bay magnolia, the sweet bay magnolia maximum heights about fifteen or eighteen feet, so you never have to prune it or do anything else. And that particular variety of magnolia only blooms in the summer, not the spring, and it has a good mm-hmm. fragrance to it. But it, I don't know which variety of magnolia you have. But the only way you're going to keep it out of the wires or keep it under control as far as size-wise is by pruning. And that could, you know, I mean, that's going to, could potentially mean every year or at least every other year of, you know, going out and pruning correctly so you don't kind of mess up the whole flowering or just, let's say, the aesthetic structural quality of the tree. How do I prune it correctly? 
Well, if it's a, if you if you like the flowering, you want to prune it a couple weeks, you know, four or six weeks after it finishes pruning, and uh, just, I mean, it's a little. It depends upon what you know what shape the tree is and what kind of tree it actually is. But as far as the magnolia, because you you don't want to have you know you don't want to put. Let's say you don't want to prune so you got stubs left because the stubs can be problematic for the overall health. So I would probably take a look, uh, maybe go to the Missouri Botanical Garden website and see if they have a class on pruning and learn how to prune correctly. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen some, I've seen some trees that have been topped off. Right. Oh, yeah. They start, they start growing out there, you know, along the side, and that looks kind of stupid. <laughs> right. Yeah. And it's overall health, it doesn't really help. So that's, you know, where the trouble comes in. Right. Okay, well, okay, well, thanks a lot for the advice. Yeah, so mobot.org and just, you know, see if they've got some pruning classes coming up. All right, we're heading to St. Louis Hills, and let's talk to Judy. Hi, Judy. Hi, I have a question. I've read that um, putting shredded paper around the base of trees, plants, flowers acts as a fertilizer. Is there any truth to that? No. <laughs> well, I didn't think so. Well, I mean, Thank I... You. Anything that's, I mean, it is, it's not going to feed anything, but uh, I guess as it breaks down, it could offer a little bit of nutrients, but it's not going to be, do, it's not going to be anything that's going to do anything to help the overall health of whatever you're putting it around. And it looks strange. Very. <laughs> Scary. All right. Well, thank you. I've done it. Looks strange. People think, uh-oh, cuckoo. But anyway, <laughs> thank you very much. Yeah, maybe save putting the pay, shredded paper around for Halloween or something so it looks yeah. like some kind of monster. Gosh, no. <laughs> thank you so much. Certainly. All right, let's talk to Pete. He's in Ellisville. Hi, Pete. Hi, Mike. How are you? Very good. Um, let's go blues, for one. Yes. And uh, I have... Uh, the mulch in my flower beds is getting fungus, various types, mushrooms, and and uh, I, I looked online. One is called artillery fungus. Ooh, that's the one that shoots black, you know, black specks yeah, on your black, your house. Yeah, exactly. Ooh. How do I get rid of that, or can I get rid of it, or can I prevent it in the future? Uh, basically, wherever you got this comp, or, you know, your mulch or whatever is, they're not doing their, you know, they're not doing it correctly. And that's how this fungus is happening. So, the, I mean, getting rid of it is about the only thing you're going to be able to do. Just rake it up and... Right, and start all over again. Pitch it. Yep. Okay. Head to St. Louis Composting. Okay, St. Louis Composting yeah. has the mulch that won't... Right. They, I mean, they send, they send all their products and they test them on site, but they also send them to laboratories to make sure that this doesn't happen. And a couple of years ago, they did have a mulch that had some problems. And so they just got rid of it. They didn't sell it. They didn't, you know, like keep quiet about it or anything. So uh-huh. that's their, their kind of attitude. Okay. All right. Thank you very much. Certainly. Uh-huh. Have a good one. All right, and our last phone call is going to be in Freeburg, Illinois, with Sharon. Hi, Sharon. Could you do it a little quickly? Sure. Hi, Mike. We have oak trees, and they they bloomed real. You know, they the flowers, the leaves came out beautifully mm-hmm. this year, and now they're curling up, and like and dying. And our neighbors had the same thing to their trees, and they've got two dead trees now. I'm wondering if we can do anything for it. Probably not. I mean, it's you know. Depends upon the age of the tree, our weather, and everything else. But my guess is 
that's probably the area is really wet, and that's where the trouble's coming from. Okay. Boy, we've already lost two trees Ooh, ourselves. Now yeah. this is the third one going. <laughs> yeah, and it's you know it's unfortunate. You, the trees have been successful for X amount of years and everything else, but you know sometimes things just happen, and weather has a really bad impact as well as good impacts. Okay, I thought maybe we could spray it or something. No, this All is right. this is root system related probably. Okay. Well, thank you for the show. Well, thank you for having me on your show, and I greatly appreciate it. And thanks to everyone who called in today. Greatly appreciate it. It looks like it's still raining, so if you're coming down for the parade, make sure that you're prepared for the rain. Also, again, happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there. And just be cool and calm and everything else, and don't be too... If you're coming down, know that there's going to be a lot of insanity all over the place, and the rain just adds, uh, let's say, something that we didn't necessarily need, but maybe it just adds a little pizzazz to the Stanley Cup. And, uh, wow, it's just really wild, crazy year this year, and uh, just enjoy it. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. I will see you next week. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.